March. You know what they say in America, Johnny? March comes in like a lion, out like a lamb. You know what that means? Go on. It means it comes in violent, rainy, hurricane-ish, snow up north, violent thunder down here. And then it ends like a happy little lamb, sweet, fuzzy, furry, (laughs) you know, and spring comes. But like a lamb chop. Or, yeah, you could go there, be mean, eat the veal. But, but James, you're not wrong because you've had snow in California. There was snow on the beaches in L.A. this week. Somebody call Greater Thunberg. My goodness, my goodness. Well, I'm still here in Sydney. Went down to Adelaide in South Australia. Wow, they've got some amazing beaches. Got some pretty good wine as well. So It's summer. Wait a minute. So... In Australia, it's summer? Yeah. Well, it's coming into their autumn. First day of March is actually first day of the autumn. So summer is almost over, in theory. Adelaide, at the weekend, it was 38 degrees. Here in Sydney today, it was a beautiful sunset. We've then had some rain, and it's going to go up to a very chilly 28 degrees. Um, oh, so in your terms, what do we got? Yeah, you got me. <laughs> it's mid-70s, mid-70s. Okay. So that's, that's pretty good. Nice and warm. Going to find that song. The dumb American, dumb American. Nah, Don't want to be an American idiot. But this week, this week on the Digital Bite Show, first of all, thank you for listening. My name is Johnny Fry, and I'm joined by my colleague James Tiley. James, where are you? You're not in Australia. I'm over here, but I'm not quite there. I am in, I am in, where am I? I'm in Georgia. In I am Georgia. on the opposite hemisphere of the opposite side my toilet flushes one way and yours right now flushes Flushes the other other way absolutely but it's not all going down the drain that's the most important thing well thank you (laughs) so this week on digital bytes we're going to be looking at fractional ownership of real estate charity tokens for crypto james's favorite subject which is the pros and cons of hardware wallets and then coming up after the break we're going to be looking at it's actually related to hardware wallets. It's talking about custody, looking after your assets and, and how do you solve that conundrum. You want your, your digital assets and digital data. So it might be passport information or it might be your driving license or it could well be the information on your phone. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago that Apple have brought out the advanced data protection system, which uses cryptographic technology and the only way or the only person that get access to your data on an Apple phone, if you've enabled this new feature, is you. Unless you've given your string of memorable words to someone else, i.e. your mother, your brother, your lover, or potentially store them with a safe, secure place, you know, someone like a Chubb, a Securicore, a Brinks mat. You could open up a deposit account there, leave your words there, and if you forget them, you could go back and get them. But Apple or anyone else will not be able to get into your digital data. And so custody is all about how do you make sure your data is very secure, but very accessible. So that's coming up. We've got a company called Custodex. It's a new company. We've not had them on the Digital Bike Show before. So Cam Patel, who's the CEO, will be joining us from Custodex after the break, James. That's why I keep my cash in my mattress in between the box spring, because nobody will ever look there. And even if you wind up owning a fractional part of my home, I would have to just not give you access to that part because I'm hiding everything under my mattress. Well, James, 
neatly segued into fractional ownership of real estate. And what's interesting, I must say, I thought REITs were older, but the information that we could find with the REITs went back to 1960. Yeah, they're, they're kind of like with time, a little before my time, but yep. timeshare, right? It's kind of like a, a timeshare. You and I share the building for fun. Yep. And a REIT, a REIT, you and I share the prosper. Ownership. The ownership. Right, the appreciation. Exactly. So timeshare REITs, they're, they're not dissimilar. Some, To be fair, some timeshares, you don't just own the ability to have some time in the property, but you actually own maybe a part of that property. So you could do a timeshare on a, on a flat in, in New York City where you used to buy your coffee. Hopefully I've got that pronunciation finally right to you, James. Or alternatively, a lot of people could get together. And this, this is one of the things... I thought it was interesting. I'm sorry, it's a little bit US-centric here, but the Jobs Act, which was passed in 2012 by the Obama administration, and they not only approved a massive infrastructure spend on your roads and your bridges and internet, but they also changed the, the regulation in terms of how people could put their money together you know, in a pooled way, and they could actually start getting access to, to real estate, to property funds. And we've seen a number of companies in the US and we give examples of Fundrise, Regal Mogul, CrowdStreet, Yield Estate, Equity Multiple. And these are all companies in the USA that have taken advantage of the Jobs Act, albeit 20 years ago it was passed, and they're enabling smaller investors to get access to, you know, and let's say, you know, an office building. You know, you're talking about millions of dollars worth of money, but it's not just in the US. You know, in, in, in Switzerland, you've got something like Crowdhouse, Foxstone. Bidu, these are all platforms whereby smaller investors can put, in some cases, as small as $10,000 and say, I want to get exposure. Sorry, sorry, some of them actually as low as $10. I was amazed by that. For only $10, you get exposure to a block of flats or to an office block, which, you know, let's be honest, real estate has done pretty well. In particular out here, James, I can't believe the price of houses. You you know, a fairly modest house, you could have bring two, three million Aussie dollars. It's, oh yeah, it's Australia is madly over here. Australia is like New York City, right? The yeah, entire really country good. is like New York City and the coastline. Yeah, we're well, certainly around the bay in Sydney. The property prices are mega. You know, go back out into the Bundy, where it's just tumbleweeds. You know, you, you can pick up something pretty cheap, James. I I think I can afford a cottage with a ute out in the outback. I'd be okay. But the whole thing and what we were looking at in this article that was addressed fractional ownership of real estate. You know, let, let's be honest, the property market, global property market, according to the estate agents, as we call them in the UK, realtors, as you call them in, in the States, is a company called Savills. And they reckon the globally, the real estate market is worth $326 trillion. Oh, easy. But it's huge, huge market. And of which 88.0% are people's homes. So a lot of people will own some or, or, or all of their house because they may or may not have a mortgage. But yet they still want to get exposure to, you know, I live in I live in, you know, in the UK. And I think, well, I'd quite like to get a bit of exposure to, I don't know, property prices in I don't know, New York or Sydney or Paris. Quite difficult to do that unless you're worth a fortune. So the only way to do it is, is some sort of fractional ownership through some sort of REIT or timeshare. But increasingly, we're seeing digital assets and the tokenization of property. Now, at the moment, the tokenized value of property is only 200 million 
Well, compare that back to the 326 trillion, you can begin to understand and see the size and the opportunity to effectively digitize real estate and give people exposure through digital assets, James. Now, you said earlier I could start off with like 10 bucks, right? Now, I don't know the answer to this question. If I'm in America, in the United States, can I, now outside of the distributed ledger digital assets world, am I normally able to participate in that in Australia, or am I not allowed? Well, I would suspect, and I'm not a tax expert on cross-jurisdictional investments like this, but I suspect that if you wanted to buy or get exposure to property here in Australia, then whoever's who's ever devised that security, because let's be honest, it, it is absolutely a security because it's backed by real assets. Oh, yeah. Then that, that company would have to be registered with the SEC to be marketing securities. And this is the problem, James, because if you've got a, oh, what's the, what's the, when you mask your address of where you're based? Like a VPN? VPN. What's a VPN? A virtual private network. What does that mean? So basically, I can, I can act as if I'm doing stuff in Australia because I'm in Australia as far as you're concerned. Right. So, so basically, if you purported and pretended to be something, someone you weren't, then it'd be very difficult for someone in Australia that's you know, offering digitized exposure to Australian property as far as Exxon, they've gone on and seen, oh, it looks like this person is in Australia. We're happy to transact and you can go and buy and, you know, you get exposure. And this is the challenge that regulators are facing. You know, historically, we've been very, very, uh, very, very narrow because go. I can remember back, you know, 30 odd years ago, typically you, you signed up a client for an investment by physically seeing them, seeing a copy of their identity, driving license, passport looking at their utility bill, and you then had to take a copy and sign that you'd done your no you know, KYC and AML checks, and it was all very much face-to-face. Now, those days are rapidly disappearing, and, and what the governments are concerned, or regulators, is that maybe there's some scurrilous activity going on here in Australia, and they're selling you stuff which really they don't think is suitable because they know best. These are the regulators. They know best. They don't want you necessarily exposed to Australian property that is not registered and recognized and all the safety and security and they've got real concerns because one of their we talked about this last week one of the main drivers of regulators is to ensure you know customers are treated fairly and and i'm sure regulators in one jurisdiction think their regulations are better than another jurisdiction so the simple answer is no the reality is digital assets enable you to potentially get exposure to buy either at issue or in the secondary market, I want someone's bought it and then you buy it through an exchange. Maybe a DeFi exchange is a good example. You know, you wrap your digital Australian property in a token and, and trade it through Uniswap. And then, you know, no one's involved. It's just it's just like one electronic mailbox to another electronic mailbox and the transaction can just happen. So it makes it very difficult for the regulators to stop some of this activity, James. Yeah, I was going to say, in reality, how do you stop it? But that's, that's the point. I think it's almost impossible. Right. It's almost impossible. But, you know, it's um, so, yeah, so that fractional, you know, so we've got REITs, we've got timeshares, and now we're seeing, you know, there's lots of property funds in most jurisdictions. But enabling someone in, in Asia to buy exposure to property in New York or Europe or vice versa, the hope is, is that more buyers come in and that will create more liquidity because most certainly commercial real estate is owned by 
big institutions, pension funds, the like. But if we can get more people coming in, that'll create better liquidity, which will help the institutions. Because sometimes, you know, we've got this situation going on at the moment in the UK. UK property prices have, have had a bit of a pullback. And the UK property funds have been trying to sell some property to meet the redemptions. And they haven't been able to sell enough property. And therefore, they've had to suspend trading on these funds. Well, how does that treat customers fairly? It doesn't. So they've got to look for a different solution. Yeah, real estate brought me back last week we were talking about the uh the bad bad mortgages of 08 that's true all around real estate again so-called very safe secure investment yeah most real people, safe <laughs> most people say yeah, it's really safe but how many i don't think i've i've met a handful of people in my 40 years in the investment management industry that have borrowed money to invest in the stock market but every homeowner practically i have ever met at some stage in their life they've had a funny thing called a mortgage i they've leveraged that and gone out and borrowed money to invest in property because oh it's very safe it's very secure it only ever goes up in value that's just not true boulder dash you know property goes up and property goes down it's just we tend to think of property on a longer term basis and over the longer term property prices are smoothed out and they have done pretty well because they're real assets they're a good inflation protection but james the other thing and this is you know you've done a lot of work in the charity sector and with your disability charity that you've had. Uh, and we've got a token talking about sort of charity tokens. And we've seen charities actually, you know, adopting. And I think actually we were talking to one of our contacts over at Save the Children. And they told me, I hadn't realized this, but they told me that they've been accepting, accepting Bitcoin donations back in 2013, I 10 years ago. And it's, it's an interesting. If you look at the average age of a cryptocurrency, don't donator, if you like, they they find that, you know, normally they're 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 under thirty eight, and the typical amount, according to the publication Giving Block, was they're giving ten thousand dollars. So you know, you're seeing younger people giving actually a lot more money if they're able to give that money via some sort of cryptocurrency. So I wonder. Yeah, I could talk a lot about this, but I wonder if I'm giving away Bitcoin to a charity in 2013 and yep. they don't get around to using it until 2014 did i donate more did i do did i thought i donated 10 grand but maybe i donated 15 i wonder well, how that works well the tax returns will be when it when it got swapped from your wallet to the to the charity's wallet so it was ten thousand. but the yeah. interesting point is the is the charity if they if they then sat on that money for a year or that could backfire on a on a not-for-profit yeah, situation. well, it could backfire, or it could turn out to be fantastic. I'm sure that some of those initial bitcoins didn't get sold immediately. In which case, you know, save the children would have made you know tidy profit out of some of those monies. I I would like to see. So let's talk about you got you broken this down into uh, benefits, right? The financial yep. structure, the motivation for donating, and yep. the the fact that they're tokens themselves. And I think you referenced one here. So I don't want to talk about, I could talk, I could spend an hour on what I think the perfect charity token would be. Because I actually have, like you said, I am a philanthropist. I work a lot with charity. Michael Bloomberg forced it on me in a very young age. And, and I say that tongue in cheek. I love it. It's, it's a way of life. I would love to see this be implemented dangerously with the word perfectly. I want to see this implemented perfectly because i think that charity and cryptocurrency could literally go just as easily hand in hand as crime everybody's like crime 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 
Well, why not charity? Why not philanthropy? Altruism. And not the altruism that we talk about with Sam and Vitalik, but true altruism where I'm giving you food. So let, let's go well, through this. Well, James, I think, you know, in because in, I know we could end up speaking for more than an hour about this subject, but one of the reasons people claim they don't give more money to charity is that, and I'm sure you've heard it, I don't know where my money goes. You know, In America, if, if it's I, horrible. I honestly thought my few dollars, few pounds, few yens, few shillings, whatever, could actually go and make a difference if it could actually help someone in real need. And, you know, take, for example, the terrible situation at the moment in Syria and in Turkey, you know, following the earthquakes. And if I thought that, you know, my 10 pounds really could give a meal to a family for, you know, a day or, or a couple of days, then kind of why wouldn't you do it would be almost the question. And, you know, in, 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 a, in recent surveys, they found that 33% of, of people actually use this reason, or some people might say an excuse, that's why they don't give more money to charity, because of the transparency. They don't understand where the money's been used, who's been using it. And you hear these horrible cases of, oh, yeah, charities, you know, their administration costs could be as much as 30 or 40%. So 40% of what I give is going to pay the CEO of the charity or marketing or administration. No, I don't want to do that. I'd much rather put, you know, $10 into a pot of the homeless person in my local neighborhood and I can see that $10. Oh, but hang on, where does that $10 go? You know, is he going to pop back into the local, you know, vape store or pack a pack of fags or another bottle of scotch, which perhaps isn't a good idea. They, they need some food and clothing. And so therefore, with, again, it comes back to the use of the technology. If you can actually have much greater transparency and you can see through, this is where your money has gone. I don't need to see the name of the person, but if I could see, okay, it went to a little girl or a little boy or to a you know, pregnant lady or an old woman or an old man, and this is what my $10, $100, million dollars did, I think you might find a lot more people would donate. And it's not just crypto because it's coming on into real assets. And, you know, we've had that company TPX on several times. They're talking about you could essentially sell up to 49% of your home. Well, you know, if you're sitting there and you've got a great big mansion in your 80s, think, you know, I'd like to give 10% of my house away to, you know, a charity. I don't know, it might be the Cat Protection League or Save the Children or whatever it may well be. It's not going to affect them. They've just given away a part of their house. and But that part of their house could be very valuable for a charity. So I think we'll see charitable giving using using digital tokens. I see that being a big market going forward. Yeah, it's very... I can speak on experience with people's thought process. So early on, CyberFM created the annual Autism Awareness Concert. Now, I'm not going to name names, but we started off with Autism Foundation A. And all the money went to them. And we had a good time, man. Music, prizes, face painting for kids. Great stuff. Three, four, five years in, that particular autism foundation were known as being not very good people, right? CEOs taking 80% and they're not even giving other 20 back. And credit card donations are, they're using the surcharges to cover. It was bad, bad. So Cyber FM, they, we lost out. Our audience, oh, I don't support this. Why would we were automatically accused of being in cahoots with the charity? And we had to stop and go, 
I'm sorry, I, I just didn't know that there was alternatives. And we did. We went and we found another Autism Foundation B and started moving forward with them. And I'll tell you one thing, we learned what to look for in that case. But as an innocent provider, we suffered a good year or two. Our reputation because of what Charity A got caught doing. Now, the reason I bring this up is that in the crypto world, we talk more often and more vividly about the Sam Bankman Freeds of the world than we do on a list of Charity Navigator. And so my question to you, Johnny, is have you found out the, what <laughs> what is it going to take for a charity using blockchain technology to officially gain the trust of anyone, right? Because we know we got transparency while remaining anonymous, trustless, smart contract oriented, X amount goes to the children. Give it to the children. Well, James, I think, finally, you've touched on what I think is a, a common problem with digital assets and you know, crypt, certainly with crypto, cryptocurrencies. You know, what is a cryptocurrency? A cryptocurrency is a cryptographic digital representation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you talking about, John? You've lost me. I, the user experience is, is not very easy. It's not, it's not. I mentioned Apple the other day in terms of having your assets. Sorry, earlier on, talking about the, dig, the advanced digital protection scheme that Apple have. I've just updated my Apple phone last night, and it came up with 10 pages of stuff I was meant to read. And, you know, you scroll down, and you, you accept all, and you click. I have no idea what I've just agreed to with Apple. You gave me your life insurance. I just, I just kind of say, yes, click. And I'm sure I'm mil like millions of people that do that. Because if you don't say click, then they're telling my phone, my, my laptop are vulnerable to hacks and bugs and da da da. The point I'm trying to make is that Apple have made the user experience super, super easy with facial recognition, thumbprint recognition, and all the information I want. I can kind of run, well, look, the power of a, of a, a mobile phone these days, it has more computing power than some of the rockets that were initially set and sent to the moon. And that power being presented to you in a very user-friendly way. And that's what I'd say in a very roundabout way here with charities. Charities have got to find a way to make their case very, very user-friendly. Let people really understand what it is and where your money is going to, what are the checks and balances that are in place to ensure that there isn't some misappropriation of funds. So I think that would be the challenge I'd throw to charities. And, you know, if, if you're listening and you run a charity, just contact, you know, James Tyler at Cyber.fm or myself, Johnny Fry at Team Blockchain. We'd love to hear from you. We did include a couple of different quotes from different organizations. I mentioned Save the Children Fund. There was also another charity that one of our, one of our clients brought our attention to, and that was Chuff, which is basically looking after and helping children in the heart unit. And we had a quote there from Charlotte Campbell, who's head of fund raising and their operations and saying that you know they started accepting cryptos back in 2020 and this is a very small uk charity and they've you know they've seen over 150,000 pounds worth of donations through and i mentioned before the giving block the giving block seems to be like a collator an aggregator where charities can go to the giving block they can register and then rather than having to set up all the systems and procedures themselves the giving block do all that for you. I must confess, I haven't found out how much the giving block take, 
to organize all this for you, but they make it easy for a charity. So please, charities, if you've got any good examples of how you're making the user experience, and this isn't just for crypto, this is, or, or digital assets, this is for any money. How do you make sure, how do you prove that your money is being spent where the people believe it ought to be spent based on why they're giving you money? Well, Johnny, I wanted to get into the hardware wallet thing. And I know that we, <laughs> we're going to be talking about security later, right? In a few minutes, uh, we're going to be going hardcore on security. And I have personal opinion about hardware wallets that would quite possibly have people throw stones at us. We, we already have – look, when Yo, we James, had the King's you Council. You hate hardware wallets. Why, why don't you like hardware wallets? I don't allow – well, gotta be careful with my words. We use wallets all day, right? Trust Wallet, SafePal, Coinbase, Binance. That's money that you're using, money that we're moving, money that we're trading. If you have Bitcoin that you've been saving up for five years and you know that you're not going to spend it, I savings account, if you will. I made a joke earlier. My money is under my mattress in my house. Yep. I believe paper wallets, paper wallets with private key or the seed words. In fact, you could put seed words on metal dog chains. From like the war, the dog tags. Dog tags, yep. So that they're fireproof. I don't generally trust anything with a battery. If it's right. got a battery, and, and we should talk about this one day. You and I were going to do an episode about missed subjects that we want to revisit. The hardware wallets are great for safety and security for regular people. I will not take that away from anybody who uses a hardware wallet because they feel safer. But what I'm saying is treat that hardware wallet just as I treat my trust wallet on my iPhone. Keep your your spending money on. If you can lose it, if you can afford to lose it, or you could be robbed, that's a hardware wallet has a lot of great tools and security features. But I can make a light bulb. Look, I'm a geek. I'm a computer geek. I've been in fintech since the late 90s. I've been in technology itself since the days of the Commodore, right? It's, it's I not can... the singers, the Commodores. What? It's not the singers, the Commodores. Oh, no, no. Remember the Commodore VIC-20, 64? <laughs> you hooked it up to your TV? I used to have those. But listen, seriously. I can make a Bluetooth light bulb explode using my phone. You can walk into your living room. And I can make that Bluetooth light bulb explode. Almost, it would harm you if you got glass in your eye. Yep. There's hardware wallets out there that have Bluetooth. So that's where I draw the line. But yes, if you're a regular guy, hardware wallets are great for security that you may not be, that you may not be, you know, accustomed to. Not everybody can be their own bank. Not everybody can carry a weapon, you know. What do you do in the bad side of town? They're great for that. And our, our guest that is coming up, he's, he's actually going to take my theory, I bet you, and, and explain why you need to be so cautious, why you well, need to make it hard to be robbed. And I just and, and don't yeah, believe What? I think, as you've already said, I think it comes down to the, the infancy of the markets. You know, hardware wallets, having your money that's... Um, you're storing your assets, but it's accessible. It creates all sorts of problems. You know, you don't walk around with all your life savings in your physical wallet. 
because that would just be stupid. I, I think this is going to make a good soapbox. And I don't know about you, but a lot of people ask us for more soapbox. And write this one down. It's going to be a soapbox. Okay. Well, let's let's try and do that. We'll do a yeah. soapbox on hard wallets. Absolutely. Why they're, why, they're, why they're so good or not, debate. Maybe we can even get a guest. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have a word with, um, perhaps we'll have a word with Cam. Cam Patel from Custodex. He's coming up after the break. Let's see. Let's see what we we you know what listeners think of what they're saying, and maybe because they're experts in terms of they have a system whereby their your assets can be held cold, like offline, can't be hacked, can't be touched. Yet it's accessible. Bizarrely, it's accessible within seconds. So maybe they've they've got a solution which is makes hard wallets look a lot more attractive. As long as in the back end where, you know, the geeks are hanging out. I want it to be like war games, where there's a slew of an army protecting your money, and three guys are required to complete each other's sentence. If you do it all in, in a nanosecond, then there's some tech for you. Okay, well, that's coming up after the break. And But don't forget, you know, thank you for listening to the Digital Bike Show here on Cyber.fm. It goes out to about 170 different countries, James. And, you know, you've got 4.6 million listeners, so... We're always keen to get your questions, your feedback, what you like, what you don't like. And if you're if you don't receive the regular weekly newsletter we send out, then just go to Cyber.fm and look for Digital Bytes or TeamBlockchain.net, and you can subscribe to get Digital Bytes. There's no selling, there's no marketing, there's no advertising. We just it's more of a thought leadership and educational paper. We make our money because we have commercial organisations that use our content because they've got staff and clients that want to know more about these topics. So we sell them a license. If you want more details about that, happy to tell you that. But just as a regular listener, you can get Digital Bytes uh, by going to teamblockchain.net or cyber.fm, put your email address in there, and then we'll send you out every week what we're talking about here. And there's lots of hyperlinks and examples of case studies of, which put some more meat to the bone, so to speak, of what James and I talk about. Teamblockchain.net. Right in front of you, the minute it loads up, we don't care how you listen to this show. I'd love for you to listen on Cyber.fm, but let's be realistic. Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeart, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, and you could always say, Alexa, open up Digital Bytes Podcast. We put that right there in the very front, and right next to it, if you have no idea what we're talking about every week, stick your email address in there and actually get the newsletter. Hey, everybody, we're back. Second half of the Digital Bytes podcast covering the newsletter March 1st. And uh, I'm intrigued. I like talking about custody. I have some tinfoil hat things that go on about custody. I also have some very strict views about custody. But Johnny, you've brought over the, the king of custody. You wrote an article about the custody of digital assets going forward. Uh, the company is called Custodiex. I mean, that's good enough for me. Let's go. Well, well not, you don't just need your tin tin hat. You need the secret keys because Cam, who's CEO of Custodiex, he's um, sitting in a nuclear bunker. That's how safe he keeps his. That's keeps what his. I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Cam, welcome, welcome on the show. And you're uh, you're obviously in in the UK, as is as is myself. James is on the other side of the pond. But you've written an article, custody of digital assets, an inflection year, 2023, with a question mark. So let's encourage you to, you know, to, to sort of tell us a little about what's going on in the custody market for some of the institutions you deal with. Hi, 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 gentlemen. Thanks for having me. I think 2023 is going to be massive for custody because it's, it's, it's the year 
it's, it's, it's the year of protection, security, bringing faith back into the organization, well, back into the world of crypto, cryptocurrencies and digital assets. So, so, so I feel it's, it's exactly that. It's a year of inflection. We, we're, we work very, very closely with a lot of banks, a lot of financial institutions, exchanges, et cetera. And the most important thing to them is the safekeeping of their assets now, of their customers' assets. And I think uh, the blip in the road that we had last year, and we know what we're talking about with, with, with a couple of incidents that, that happened, have actually bring, brought this to the forefront of people's minds. And now, and now security is very, very high on everybody's priority list when it comes to digital assets. And that's, that's the area that we sit in. Okay, so Cam, can we just perhaps go to sort of, as James would probably say, route one, go back to basics. What is custody? It's nothing to do with apples and custard or custard and pie, is it? It's, it's look what, looking after assets? Why do we need to worry about it? Who, who does it? So, so in the old days, uh, traditional companies like Brinks, for example, they, they, they custody gold, for example. They look after it. They are responsible for safekeeping this asset in one of their vaults, okay? That's the, that's the, that's the truest way of doing it now. now when it comes to digital assets, it's very, very different, okay? Because you don't have a physical vault that you can put these assets in. But what we've done is we have actually, as you mentioned, and it's not, it's an XMOD, not quite a nuclear bunker, but it's an XMOD bunker. But that is, that houses the, uh, the, the digital assets. And the interesting thing is, is cold stored. So, so, so custody is all about the safekeeping of assets and the execution of assets. So, you know, again, you have what you have when people know what you have and you can trade what you have all safely. Right. So if I'm a big bank or if I'm a, you know, my old, my old day, you know, running a fund management company, we told we had to have a third party, a custodian to look after the stocks and shares. And I think I'm right in saying the biggest one is Bank of New York Mellon and they've got about $43 trillion dollars of other people's money, which they look after. So when some like Goldman's or Fidelity or whoever come along and say, we want to sell Apple and buy Tesla, then they have to be able to go to the custodian and they say, okay, can we have our, you know, our Apple shares back and now we're going to give you some Tesla in return. It's, I'm being very simplistic, but that's, that's what we're talking about. Someone that looks after the assets and then can enable that transaction to take place. Correct. And you've spoken about a non-digital world there, but the world is going to digital and I think you mentioned the biggest custodian today in the world, owning billions of dollars of assets. In the future, when everything gets digitized, from from bonds to CBDCs to to to, to your property, even all of these things will um, uh, will be in the trillions of numbers, in the trillions of dollars in terms of valuation. So they have to be ultra ultra secure and ultra ultra safe. I feel that. It's a new ball game. It's an absolute new ball game, and actually, the financial institutions are all realizing this very, very quickly. And they've been trying to make headway in this area for for many, many uh, for many, many years, to be honest. In trying finding the right technology, trying trying to find the right accessibility to be still being transparent, being all these things that they have to be with with other people's digital assets, as it were. Okay, so. So you're absolutely right in terms of the size of the market. According to Boston Consulting Group, they did a report last year and they were talking about by just in a matter of a couple of years, we could see as much as $16 trillion worth of you know bonds, equities, currencies, real estate, commodities, all being 
digitized, tokenized. But that presents a problem, doesn't it? Because if in a digital format, it's not like it's something very tangible you can hold. And it, and you mentioned earlier on something about cold storage. Can you explain what you mean by cold storage as opposed to uh, presumably hot storage? OK, so so traditionally speaking, and we've done something very, very untraditional, to be honest, the uh, the, the definition of, of hot storage is something that is usually a hot storage is, is referred to as, as, a, as a hot wallet. Let's let's describe it as and and a hot wallet is something that is accessible in real time immediately. So a lot of the wallets that people have on their iPhones, on their on their Android phones, etc. They are wallets where they will hold their digital assets and their encryption keys and an enclave, etc. And so that is a hot wallet because they can transact on it straight away. Okay. But their keys are stored on their phones. So they are they are less secure because they're they're accessible via the internet. Somebody can intercept this and and sort of hack people's accounts. Okay. So it's deemed as a little bit less secure. A cold storage solution and people have people have, have cold storage solutions is, is actually something that's offline off the internet so that's the actual definition so there are there are no internet attack vectors so traditionally as i say cold storage can be retrieved in 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 hours and days so it's not very good it's not very much use to yourself johnny when you want to transact your half a million that i know you have in bitcoin um yes. when it's going to take when it's going to take you a day to make that transaction right because it's got to be pulled out of cold storage and your your yubikey which is on your person uh, maybe there's another shard of your key with somebody else with, with your custodian and then somebody else have has 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 a piece these have to be all brought together before the before the uh, transaction can be can be made well, so the price could the price could have changed all over the place you could talk about digital assets absolutely absolutely so 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 what we've what we've what we've built um we've built an institutional grade product firstly and it's a saas product and it's all driven via apis i'm just going to get a little bit technical even though i'm not that technical and it is actually cold storage in real time, which is, I've heard from many, many people, an oxymoron and impossible to do. One of the large banks called it snake oil, which I loved. It was like, that's snake oil. That's not possible. So then we went, OK, let's uh, sign this NDA, named NDA, and let me explain to you how we do it. And we explained it. And there's approximately 30 people in the world that know how we do it. It's kind of our secret source, but we, we have a solution. That has been validated by various banking organizations, various security companies, been pen tested as unpenetrable and is cold stored and is accessible in real time. So, so that is our unique selling point. But there's other aspects to this. It's you can you can you can build you can put together you can generate millions of volts in seconds. So, you know, if it, if it's a large custodian, then then obviously in real time, all of their customers will be pinging up vaults, pinging up addresses in those vaults and putting digital assets in there it's got to be a scalable solution so it's real time it's scalable and it's ultra ultra secure there are there are something called nist nist approved algorithms and also it's quantum safe so when we start talking about quantum computing and somebody said to me again one of the one of the banking organizations they said uh, we won't see quantum hacking in our lifetime camp and i was like well you say that but i've got another bank who's protecting themselves against it our solution is quantum safe and proven quantum safe as well. So, so there is all these aspects that we have of this solution. And we think it's nobody else has this in, in the world. So it's, it's a, absolutely unique. Yeah. Cam, we were talking the other day and I thought this 
just keeping it really simple, because obviously you've got a very diverse range of listeners in over 170 countries that listen on to Cyber.fm. You had, you had someone you were talking to, and there was a big security company, and they look after people's art, eye pictures, you know, you know Van Gogh's and Renoir's and Banks's and things like that. And their clients want to start creating NFTs. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said the solution the security company had was to have three or four USB sticks that were stored in three or four different locations. So if they then wanted to do a transaction... They then had to put those USB sticks onto airplanes, cars, trains, whatever, and get them all in one location, and then they could do a transaction. Correct. That's 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 true cold, and and it's a solution that works for them. To be honest, so they say, I want to sell my NFT. And they go, okay, one of your Yubi keys is in Singapore, one is in a vault in New York, and one is in London, and uh, you have one. So we need to fly them all in, get them together, and we can do this. And they brag about it. We can do this in two days. And I'm sitting wow. there thinking, two days, wow. With our, solution, another two minutes. With, with our solution, you can do it in milliseconds. Wow, wow. Wow, James, I know, I know you've always you had the uh, adage, you know, not your, not your keys, not your currency. Obviously, we're not just talking here about cryptocurrency, but we're talking about very much, and it's a theme you and I talk about week in, week out, about how blockchain technology is digitizing real assets, equities, debt instruments, real estate, et cetera, et cetera. What are, you, what are your thoughts, being a good old New York boy who used to be involved in all this sort of stuff? I, I am I am intrigued. For sure. <laughs> I am I am intrigued, and and I have a question. Where you're very welcome to what we do in the United States is take the Fifth Amendment. So you're going to say, how does this work? Right. Well, I was going to say, in my mind, as you're explaining this dynamically cold storage, I imagined due to latency that it's cold storage that. In, in the blink of an eye, it becomes hot. I do my execution, whatever it is that I do, and then it goes back. And is it disposable? Is it now all new cold storage? That Because cold storage becoming hot, in my mind, always stays hot. Um, uh, all I can say is the cold storage is always cold. Okay. And it is not accessible to the internet. And again, we the pen testers that we had, we had, we had a company called Sequest, over in the UK, and we gave them the solution. We told them a secret source. We invited them into the bunker. We said, hack it, please. Can you get my 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 Ethereum out of this cold storage? And they wrote a report. Now, you know, you've seen pen test reports. There's always a recommendation. There's always, you could do this a little bit better. You could do, they came back with no. First, they came back with, yes, it is true cold storage. The definition is correct. Then they said, it is, it is not on the internet. And then they said, we haven't been able to penetrate it and we don't have any recommendations. And I've never, ever seen that in a pen test. Well, yeah, I, see, I, I live for stuff like that. I have, I have stories <laughs> that we could tell off air. You know, it's the same thing. I'm like, if you can hack my house, I'll give you X. And, you know, it's always yeah. a teenager going, I can do it. And I'm like, listen, yeah. you're still young. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, you blew my mind. So, I'm envisioning a tunnel. James, I'll be honest with you. I'm not saying it's unhackable because nothing is unhackable. Not. Right. But it, it's it's the strongest security that possibly can be used. And so 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 actually we've just launched another product. We have two products. One one is one is the blockchain vault where you can store Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc., various different blockchains. And now we have something called the digital key vault, which means you can you can actually store any digital asset. Any digital anything with a key. Anything right. And that's what's important, right? Because we talk about crypto and then and then we talk about actual digital assets and Tokenizing Absolutely. securities is really 
all the same but, functionality, right? So, Cam, one thing I'm intrigued by, could you perhaps explain a little bit more? Because anyone <laughs> I love this. Your, your website is, you come across this terminology, a, an air, air, air gap. Yes. Can you explain what an air gap is? So, so, so exactly what it says on the tin, it is a gap of air. Um, and actually, in actual fact, that gap of air is the gap of air between hot storage and our cold storage. That's what I thought. So that, that's just the reason I want to highlight, because essentially so there, we, is, there is got... oxygen between the two, hence no network capability in cold storage. See, what and, I like again, about there's... this, what, here's what I like about this, because I'm, I'm old, right? Ten years ago, air gap, absolutely, right? We were creating Bitcoin wallets on laser printers that were off network and then literally taking a sledgehammer to the laser printer because we didn't want the cache memory to, to store any of the info, right? That was hardcore cold storage and it was a paper wallet that you went and you locked up in your in your in your safe you had to be a computer geek and you had to be willing to take a sledgehammer to your laser printer you guys are providing a service where anybody could be the most hardcore what's reasonably available today geek yes and and i'll be honest with you james our product is not a b2c product it is a b2b product we're, we're, right. we, are a, we are a custody enabler. We're, so, so we're not the custodian itself. We provide the technology. <laughs> have have you met some of these bank employees? Them. They're people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay, okay. So, yeah. But, um, but yeah, the, uh, the point I was going to make was um, the, the enabling people to do is, 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 is custody. So, so, yeah. The other thing I did want to talk about just briefly is regulation. And I, and I touched on it in the article. There is a, there is a counterbalance to... Obviously, you've you probably had on the podcast innovation versus regulation, you know, and that balance. And what we've managed to do is bring both worlds together because obviously the regulator loves this product. We're speaking to various regulators and they said, this is secure, very, very secure, ultra secure. Why, why isn't everybody doing this? You know, why are these other less secure, potentially uh, potential custody solutions out there? And I was like, well, they're the competition. Then they're very, very large, you know, billion dollar organizations. So, you know. We we are we're we're a small fintech, but we're making waves in the in in the industry. I feel, and I'm just intrigued that over the years it's, I was the guy that was like you know damn the man no regulation no, not your keys not your coins, but after what's gone on in the past even few you know even 2016 forward, but even really recent what's gone on, you do need that company that's going to, put their foot across that threshold and go no no don't worry we. Here's the proof we have it. Is your penetration testing marketable? Like, can you use that as your as your pride? Yes, I've got a, I've got a report. It's not on the internet, but I've got the report, and I use it with a financial institution saying, "Look, this is what they've said," and and then they said, "Can we independently test it ourselves?" Yes, go ahead. If you're hard enough, go see if you can knock it down. Right, you're like go uh, crazy, <laughs> and nobody has, so uh, it's all good, good, good news. Brilliant. Well, look, Cam, thank you for uh, coming on to uh, the, the show and explain a little bit more about. Custodex, how's the best bet for people to get hold of you? It's what LinkedIn or how? How's uh, LinkedIn via the website? You know, we're we're about we we do the conferences, we're doing the shows, we're we're up in our game in the marketing world and the commercial side of things. We are a technical company, so we're we're all geeks, security geeks from from banking backgrounds. Uh, have you? So we're not we're not great at the commercial side of things, but we're getting there. You know, the uh, the the penny is dropping with various organizations. And I just want to close with 
six months ago, we were obviously talking to all these organizations. And one of the organizations, one of the biggest custodians in the world actually said to me, and I, and I can't use the quote per se, but, but they said, isn't this a little bit too secure? Aren't you a little bit over the top after they looked at the technical specifications of the solution? And I said to them, would you rather have your, your personal cryptocurrency or your digital assets saved in our vault or in somebody's, somebody else's wallet there, the current provider? And I went, oh, if it was my money, if it was my digital asset, I'd have it with custodian. And I was like, okay, then. So, and then when FTX stuff happened, that's when suddenly our, our, our phone started heating up and people were calling us going, you're the ultra secure guys, aren't you? That do cold storage real time. We need to talk to you. And so we've got very, very busy because of incidents and things that have happened. So brilliant. Okay, Cam. So if anyone wants to get information, it's Cam Patel or just go onto the website, Custodex, which is C-U-S-T-O-D-I-X. And uh, James will be back with a, with another another show next week. But Cam, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you from Custodex. Which will self-destruct in 30 seconds. Many thanks, gents.